Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Get your Bibles. We're going to go right where we were this morning. Genesis chapter number 13. And uh, I had... I had planned, I thought I was earlier in the week preaching a different message this morning from Genesis 14, and uh, I'm generally reading ahead and studying ahead a couple of weeks, and then the week of the the message, I I do my my study with my outline and putting it all together, and I put the finishing touches on it usually every Saturday, sometimes a little earlier than that, but on Saturday generally I'm spending a few hours kind of finalizing all of it in my heart and mind and adding an illustration. This morning's O-ring illustration came at the last minute. I texted Pastor Doug about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. I said, uh, Pastor Pastor Doug, I need 350 O-rings. Can you go find me, find me a few hundred O-rings uh, uh, somewhere? And so, uh, sometimes I'll add some things, but, but I plan to preach a different message this morning. I may preach it next week um, from Genesis 14, where the two coalitions of kings were fighting against each other. And of course, we saw it just in passing this morning. Lot was taken away when, when Sodom and Gomorrah was overtaken in that battle. And a lot was taken away, and then Abraham went and rescued him. And so this morning I had planned to bring a message entitled, Fight for Your Family. And we might, I might preach that next Sunday morning. We might move on to chapter 15. We'll see how the Lord directs in study and prayer this week. And so because of that, some of tonight is going to feel a little bit like we talked about a lot of this this morning. We're in the same passages, and I hadn't originally planned to do that. I had planned to be here tonight, and then toward the end of the week, the Lord, it's a different angle, but it's the same story. It's Lot's life that we're looking at both this morning and tonight. This morning, for those that were in here, which was most of you, some were out serving in other places, um, but this morning was one step leads to another, and it really the angle and the challenge was to look at how how, how, how far someone can go from here to there with really just some small decisions, some small choices of who they're going to make their friends, some small choices of, of, of the priorities they're going to have in their lives, of where they live, and just some small decisions, and that's where the O-ring illustration came from, from the Challenger space shuttle, the, the, the power of a small thing to be really impactful in our life for good or for bad. And so that was kind of the angle and the challenge this morning. It's really the same text, and so I don't feel like we're going to have to read a lot of the the passages, because we did it all this morning. We spent really most of the morning looking at most of where Lot is mentioned in chapter 13, and then chapter uh, a little in 14, and then chapter 19. We read a good bit of that chapter this morning. But by way of of review, and and the angle tonight is a little more practical, so it's the same along. This morning was more about how our decisions, small decisions, lead to big impact in our lives, and to be be careful and, and aware of that and stack small good decisions day after day after day on top of each other and look back and see amazing growth in our lives. Isn't that how it works physically? Nobody, we now, we'll say to some, a child, oh man, you really shot up. And, and, but really what, where that is, that's when we haven't seen them for quite a while, right? I, I've had five children. I've never once in the 20 years we've had children in our home, never once have I gone to bed one night and woke up the next morning and said, man, you grew so much last night. You don't notice that. It's, you don't, it's imperceptible. 
is just a tiny, now there are seasons where it's a little more perceptible, and at the Christmas season, I, I, I perceive more growth in my own self over that month than over other months of the year as white chocolate Oreos come out in the stores and things, but it's imperceptible, but that's how the physical growth is, isn't it? It's just a little at a time. You can't even see it. And then all of a sudden you look at a picture and you're like, six months ago, wow, or you visit a, you haven't seen a grandson or a niece or a nephew or, a, or somebody, and you go visit them or you see them a few months later, and you're like, you've changed so much. Well, their parents didn't think that. Every day it was just a little growth at a time. The same is true in our spiritual lives. So don't despise, don't despise the power of small things, of small decisions. And that was this morning. Tonight, I want to bring a message entitled, The Three-Mile Journey to a Family's Destruction. The three-mile journey to a family's destruction and looking, and we're going to pull out three specific things. So this morning was much more general and really on the, the power of little things in our lives, little foxes that can spoil the vines or little decisions that can, can completely transform your family history for the better. Tonight, we're going to look at some specific things from Lot's story. And I'm not going to go through it. We were in Genesis 19 this morning. If you weren't here this morning, I'd encourage you maybe this week to go back and read Genesis 19. In Genesis 19, to review, what we find is Lot, who at one time had been with his uncle Abraham. His business was booming. He was with the, a man that is called the friend of God. He is right where he's, he's a part of God's d divine plan. God has given this promise to Abraham. I'm going to make of you, he's, he's about to give him the promise, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He's already told him, I'm going to give you all this land. He's made that promise. And that's, Lot was with him. Everything was good. And we saw this morning 10 steps, 10 little decisions, 10 little things, characteristics that led him from a look at Sodom to a lifetime of regret. And in Genesis 19 is where we see really that the last time the Bible speaks of him. Now there's one verse we saw this morning in 2 Peter that describes it, but after Genesis 19, we never hear from Lot again. The last time we hear from him, he's a widower who has lost his wife unexpectedly. He, he's, he's, he's lost his position, he's lost his career, he's lost all his possessions, he's lost his entire extended family, his daughters and his sons-in-laws, and any grandchildren they have, they've all been killed uh, uh, suddenly in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's in a cave, a homeless widower, fearful, living in fear, cowering in fear in a cave with no earthly possessions. The only relationships he has left are his two unmarried virgin daughters who make the choice to, to commit a wicked act with him, to get him drunk, and commit a wicked act with him, and they become with child from that wicked act, and now his only living grandchildren are actually his illegitimate sons. From 13, chapter 13, I think verse 5 or so, maybe 4, something like that, from there to 19, a family destroyed. I want, to, I want to pull a few thoughts as a, as a warning to us to take inventory in our lives. By the way, Lot was not—now, he lived in a wicked city, but Lot was not a wicked whoremonger. The Bible tells us, we saw this morning in 2 Peter, that, that God delivered just Lot, that godly just man who vexed his righteous soul from day to day in hearing and seeing their wicked deeds. Now, he did allow wrong influences to impact him, but he was a good man. 
He was a man that loved God. He was a man that at one time was in a good place, and how does he get there? He's, he's, not, he's, he's a man with a good family and a good upbringing and a righteous soul at one point in a spot of great blessing, and they went from that, we saw it this morning, from a look to, to lust to living in Sodom to all of those things we saw this morning. And, and when I say the three-mile journey to a family's destruction, I mean family unit. That may be one person. You might be talking about your own life here. We must guard. So you say, well, I'm not married, or I don't have children, or my children are raised. This message isn't for me. No, this is for all of us. We can all go from a place of fault. You're here on a Sunday night. There's obviously some kind of spiritual desire and spiritual passion in your life. You, you could have been anywhere you wanted to, and you chose to come back after you'd already been in church this morning, to come back again tonight, and, and you're obviously in a place where you want to know God and want to follow Him more and want to learn, but we can all go from that to a life of heartache and regret and scars. How did he do that? How did, how did Lot and his family get from chapter 13 to chapter 19? And if we're not careful, what things might help to lead us to some of those that we might need to guard against along the road of life? I want to give you a three-mile journey. Mile marker number one I see in Genesis chapter number 13. Mile marker number one, a misplaced priority of material things. A misplaced priority of material things. In chapter 13, verses 5 through 9, there's the conflict with Abram's herdmen and Lot's herdmen. There's fighting over stuff, over money. And when Abram comes to, to offer Lot, you take whatever you want and I'll take whatever I want, instead of Lot saying, no, you're, the, you're, the, you're my uncle, you're the older one, you do what you want, what do you think, Abram, what would, what would work best for both of us? The Bible just tells us that he lifted up his eyes and he said, what's good for me? One person put it this way regarding Lot's family and the decisions he made of where to live and where to run his business. He did not ask, is this, speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah and the plains, the well-watered plains that he, that he planted his family as he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He did not ask, is this a good place to raise children? He asked, is this a good place to raise cattle? His priority was more about his personal gain, his personal comfort, what was good for him and his business, not what is the right priority for my family? What is, how is this going to impact my children if I move into Sodom? The Bible tells us in Genesis 13 that the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly. We saw it this morning. It was no secret, just like we might call Las Vegas Sin City, it was no secret that Sodom and Gomorrah were Sin City. How is this going to affect my children to move away from the godly influences in my life and to move move our family into this ungodly, wicked place. It, it's, it's so dangerous and it's so possible, we're told. Studies will tell you that in America, generally speaking, I think it's usually the number one cause. Sometimes it's, it's in the top three, depending on what study you're reading. But the number one cause for divorce in most studies is conflict over finances, a misplaced priority over material things. I was talking with somebody this week, we were, I was in a, in a very successful uh, business person in Orange County that's been a friend to this ministry, they're not members of this church, and I was having lunch with them, and we were talking about some of the things that he sees, he deals with a very high-end clientele in Orange County, and we were talking about different things, and, and I made a statement that I've made here preaching before, but I said, it's not wrong to have things, it's not wrong to have money, but it is wrong when money has you. And that's what can happen so easily. Whether you're, you, you're, you're low income or high income, that doesn't determine whether or not money has you. 
There are people that are, that are living in poverty that, that their whole life is all about how do I get more money. The will to be rich affects all of us. It can affect all of us. This is not a matter of income level. This is a heart level. It's a matter of priority. What is our priority? Family, what is your priority? Do you view if we could get that house and I'll make whatever sacrifices I have to with my family so that I can get that better paying job and I can do that and I'll move my family anywhere and I'll do anything here because uh, for a young person, I'll go pursue any career, whatever it is, so that I can make more money. That is a great path to destroy your life. I've said it before, money is a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful tool to help us accomplish our purpose for living. It is a terrible purpose for living. Money is a wonderful tool to help us accomplish our purpose for living. It's a terrible purpose for living. I was talking to someone else, uh, Pastor Doug, I was talking, who was I talking to? I was, meet, it was, I was meeting with somebody else this week, a young couple that's trying to get this all figured out and, and, and get their, 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 they've made God the priority, they serve God faithfully, they're a wonderful couple in our church, but they're trying to figure all this out. It's expensive to live in Orange County and figuring out their budget and how to do these things. And, and, and I, I use you as an example. Pastor Doug, I said, keep God first and God will take care of your family. I said, look at Pastor Doug, and, and at this point, and, and I'm not against home ownership. I think if you can do it, we're, we're still trying to figure that out for Doug and Joanne. The market's gone a little crazy through all of that, but they've never owned a home. But I will tell you, they are not failures in life. They are rich in relationships. They are rich in love. If they were in trouble, there would be hundreds of people that would rush to help their family and do whatever they could for them. I know plenty of people that have 50 homes in their investment portfolio, but not the rich, deep relationships and fulfillment of purpose in life. Oh, I'll take the, the, what's the, now again, if God allows you to have, have, have great wealth, use it for God's glory. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to apologize for. But what is your priority? We have teenagers. We have three that are, two that are out of uh, high school and, and uh, one that's a teenager. So two teenagers and a 20-year-old. And so the last few years, has, there's been a, a good bit of discussion in our home on preparing for the future and budgeting and saving and giving and, and starting little side businesses and some entrepreneurship and working on ways to, to make money and to save up and to purchase a car and what kind of car to get and how much to spend and investment accounts and trying to teach some of these things that you, you should have some knowledge of as you move into life, but I've, I've told on a couple of occasions over the last couple of years, if we're not careful, those comfort, and it's good that they get, they get a goal and they get a vision, and I'm going to save up this much, and I'm going to get here, and I want to buy this, and I want to get there, and a couple of different times I've had to stop, and I'm the one teaching them to focus on some of these things in, their, in its proper place, and I've had to stop and say, money isn't the end all. It's a great tool, but don't miss your calling. Don't miss your purpose because you're so worried. Do I have this much in savings? Have I invested in that? I want to get going here and I want to do this. I want to... Yes, be wise stewards, but don't put God's calling on your life on hold, whatever that is, so that you can just pursue whatever is going to bring you the most material increase. And we see here with Lot. The, the, the conflict over things, the, the, the choices over fleshly things, uh, it, it led to, it was mile marker number one, it's really where it started going wrong. We saw it this morning when he began to make choices based on what was better for him financially without considering what it would do to him spiritually. I would never, personally, 
and I know I'm in a little different position because my vocation is ministry, I would not make a move for my family without knowing, is there a healthy ministry church that we're going to plug in, even if I was, for whatever reason, was no longer able to be in ministry. Our spiritual health is far more important than do I have a job. Is there a place that we can, we can, well, I'm going to move there and I'll figure it out. Is there, be careful, Lot might have thought that I'll move there and figure it out, and he lost his entire family. We saw it this morning. How many families, how many homes, how many marriages, how many lives, how many young adults, their lives have been destroyed, their priorities have been destroyed because we place too high a value on that which is going to burn. Stuff that doesn't matter in eternity, yet we give our entire beings to getting more of it. Be careful about that. Don't make money or things or finances or possessions the primary issue, the priority of your life and home. If that means you have to downsize a little bit or you've got to drive an older car, you've got to live in a little smaller house, better is godliness, the Bible talks about, with contentment than great gain and strife. Read it in Proverbs. Who you are is more important than what you have. It's better to have, the Bible says, better is a dinner of herbs where love is in Proverbs than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. It would be better to a dinner of herbs. You just got a a, a, a gluten-free vegan kale salad. That's all you've got for dinner every night. And God help us, that would not be a very enjoyable existence. But he says, better is a dinner of herbs where love is. There's harmony. Then a stalled ox, filet mignon, steak and lobster every night, and hatred therewith. Where's your priorities? I, God really drove this into my heart as a 19-year-old young man. Uh, I was an intern for Pastor Eric Capace in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I went and lived. He was a young pastor in his mid-30s at that time. I went and lived with him for a summer. And I interned there in between my, I think my sophomore and junior year, if I remember correctly. In, in Bible college, and I lived with this pastor. He's still pastoring the same church there. I've probably been there about 30 years now. We were just there this summer on family vacation, first time I'd been back since I was 19 or 20. And I was in his home, this young pastor just getting a church off the ground. They had nothing. They had at that time two children, and she was expecting her third, and they lived in a single wide trailer. And you know, I've never experienced a family that had as much love and joy and fun and joy of the Lord. And we drove in every night to a trailer park, and two little kids and one on the way, and they welcomed a college kid to come live in their spare bedroom. And then they welcomed another college kid to come. And it was like, and most of us would say, well, I don't have room in my house for that. But to them, the priority was people. The priority was God. The priority was making an impact in lives. And, and they weren't embarrassed. We live in a single wide trailer in a trailer park. Hey, there's a bed right there. You want to move from California for the summer and live with me? You can work with me at the church, and I'll teach you what I know. And you'll travel with me and speak and do some different things. And God impacted my lives. But I remember I remember being there that summer and reading as I read a proverb a day has been my habit for many years, and I was reading that proverb, and I thought when I saw that better is is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith, I thought, that's the Capaci family. They don't have any of the stuff that's supposed to make us, we've arrived in life, but they have all the stuff that matters. They have God, and they have a purpose, and they have love, and they have God's Word, and God has blessed them, and they now have a a nicer home, and their family's bigger, and their home still is not in a real nice neighborhood, but it's right near their church, and, and but their focus and priority is still the same. It's God, and His Word, and the church, and people, and impacting lives, and helping others. Be careful you don't buy into the lie. Young people, be careful you don't buy into the lie that somehow getting more stuff is going to make you more happy. 
Be careful. There's nothing wrong if God blesses us. We all have more stuff than we need. None of us are, are living, uh, we, we all are blessed. We have more stuff than we need. I have more clothes than I need. I have more shoes than I need. There are people in the world that have one or two changes of clothes and one pair of shoes. That's never been my story my entire life. It's nothing wrong with that, but be careful you don't start believing, I've got to pursue that, and I've got to do this, and once I get that car, and once I live there, and once I, once I go here, and once I get that, then, then I'll really be happy. Then I'll really be satisfied. Nothing wrong with financial goals, nothing wrong with working towards some wise stewardship, but be careful that you don't deceive yourself to believe some accomplishment, some, some possession is what's going to bring fulfillment to you. Mile marker number one, mile marker number one, misplaced priority of material things. That'll lead you to neglect the stuff that matters so that you can get more stuff. It'll lead you to be dishonest and manipulative so that you can take advantage of people for your own gain. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He didn't say the, 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 the bigger house with three or four or five cars is great gain. He said, godliness, focus on who you are more than what you have, and are you content with what God's given you and with where God's placed you? If you have, you have found the secret to happiness. It's great gain. We brought nothing in. We're going to take nothing out. If we have food and raiment, let us be there with content. Mile marker number two, making major decisions in the flesh. We saw it this morning. How did Lot choose? How did Lot choose where to move his family? What felt good to him? What looked good to his eyes? We don't see any prayer. By the way, you say, well, maybe he didn't, just didn't say it. We see with Abraham over and over again prayer. We see him setting up altars and worshiping. We see him asking God and talking to God about his next step. And Abraham messed up sometimes too. But we see Ab with Lot, Whatever looked good, whatever felt good, whatever, made, whatever culture was doing, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to be a part of that. He made a major decision for his life and family based on what looked good, what was appealing, what was exciting, what was profitable. Don't make decisions based on what pleases the flesh. Don't choose who to date or marry just based on who makes you feel good. Don't choose what college to go to just based on what campus looks exciting. Don't choose uh, what church to attend based on, on where you get good vibes. Don't, don't choose the big decisions of life. Don't make those decisions based on your feelings. Make those decisions based on the truths of God's Word, biblical principles, godly counsel, time in prayer, the Holy Spirit's leading. Don't make decisions based on what's popular with the world or necessarily just on what your kids want or what is easiest. I believe too often we make life-altering decisions in our lives without seeking the mind of God and counsel from people that, that have been where we're going and that can speak into our lives. It's always interesting to me when people come and, and I've, I've served their family and I've been there uh, late, you know, late into nights and hospital visits and, and, and maybe situations with, with just difficulties or heartbreaks or heartaches and you serve a family or, or an individual or, or people for years and years and years and, and then they come to let you know, oh, hey, pastor, just want to let you know, here's what we're doing. And I'm thinking, did you pray about it? Did you, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you God told me you must do X, Y, Z, but did you seek any counsel on that? 
I've worked with a lot of people. That doesn't seem like it's probably going to turn out real well. Are, are, are you following? Do you have some folks that are wiser than you that are helping to guide you? You know, you, you say, well, it's, it's a good decision. I don't know about you. I, the Lord led our, our family here seven years ago to, to come to Liberty. I think you could say it was to come work at a church as the pastor is a spiritual move. So we, the Lord directed and guided, and we just came. No, even to come become pastor of a church, which I think for hopefully was a spiritual decision. You know what I did? I sought counsel from several people that have made decisions like that, people that have wisdom I don't have, people that have been down the road, people that had moved their family at the similar ages of what my children were, and I sought counsel, and what do you think about this, and, and what do you think about that? And I went to my pastor, and we talked several times about it. I spent time in prayer. I, I sought counsel from Pastor Tomlinson. I spent time in God's Word. I, I, I looked, and, and God, would you show me, confirm some things in your Word? Is this what you would have for us? Why? Because to move our family from where we were to come here was a life altering decision, and I don't have enough wisdom on my own to make life-altering decisions that can impact our family for generations without guidance from God's Word and the Holy Spirit and godly counsel in my lives. And yet, people, and sometimes it's not even Christians that come and say, hey, pastor, we're doing X, Y, Z, we're, we're doing this, we're going here, or whatever it might be. Sometimes they're just gone. And there's no—you know what that tells me when there's no communication? When there is no sharing of hearts, when there's no conversation, that tells me probably in their heart of hearts they know it wasn't a real wise spiritual decision. Either that or there's just a real lack of spiritual maturity. Where's the counsel? Where's the, be careful about making major decisions in the flesh. What if Lot would have sought Abraham's counsel about where to move his family? What about after Abraham, as we saw this morning, was taken captive and then rescued by Abraham? You think maybe somebody around Lot would have said, you probably shouldn't move back into Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have saved his family there. Well, I really like this city or the, whatever, blah, 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 the school, the benefits, the this, the that. But where does God want your family and what is God leading you to do? We guide our lives based on flesh, on society, on peer pressure, on carnality. It's a formula for destruction in your life and family. When Lot made that carnal decision, it led to where his family would live it led to who his friends and associates would be. It led to where he would work and what he would do. It led to who his children would have as friends and influences. It led to him losing spiritual influence in his adult children's lives. Number three, mile marker number three. Mile marker one, I believe, led to mile marker two. So a, a, a misplaced priority on material things led Lot to make carnal major decisions in the flesh. And it leads to number three, what, what, what in his life it led to number three, it led to him allowing, allowing ungodly influences into our lives. Allowing ungodly influences into his home. Look at verse number 12 of Genesis 13. Verse number 12, and Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. We saw it again in 2 Peter, that righteous man vexed his righteous soul from day to day in hearing and seeing the wicked deeds of what those around him did. He allowed corrupt influences into his life and into his home. I would suggest on some level, now I do think Lot lost his way based on the fact that he offered his daughters to those perverted homosexuals that we saw this morning in Genesis 19. I do think he lost his way somewhere along the way there. But I would say for the most part, the Bible describes him as righteous, just Lot. 
I don't know that Lot personally got involved in any of the debauchery, but his family sure did. And eventually as they left, his daughter sure did. What they had seen and what they had heard and what they had seen him even do and what had happened, his, his, his adult children, they loved Sodom more than they cared about their dad's counsel. What are you talking about? Why, why do we need to leave? Well, no, this is our home. This is where we're at. He allowed, these things eventually allowed, allowed these corrupt influences, ungodly influences into their lives. Lot allowed his family to be influenced by those who believed contrary to his beliefs. The corrupt influences gained more power than Lot had in his own children's lives. Isn't that exactly what we do? Those of us that have children in the home, what we do when we just give free reign on a television set or on a computer or on a cell phone. The Babylon Bee is a satire news site and they're, they're, they have some pretty genius writers. And I saw somebody, I think it was just today, I saw them post a, a headline, parents, parents deciding whether they should get their children a cell phone or just drop their kids off at, at some pervert's house or something like that. Like, should they just leave them there and let those people, parents, and, and two of my kids have cell phones. Our third is about to get one as they're working and they're driving. I have a cell phone. I'm not saying you can't be a godly person with a cell phone, but be careful that you're not just allowing unhindered access of ungodly influences into your family's lives. Your music, your television programming, friends, relationships, apps, websites, YouTube histories. There is so much access to so much debauchery. And by the way, it's not just for teenagers. Mom and dad, guard your heart. Grandma and grandpa, guard your, your actions, guard your text messages, guard your direct messages, guard your web history, guard those influences, guard your viewing things. Guard what you're bringing in. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. How do you get from Genesis 13 to Genesis 19? One, I think, is a misplaced priority of stuff. My business, my bottom line matters more than my spiritual health. I'm gonna seek after this world's pleasures rather than God's, God's plan. Number two, I'm gonna make major decisions just on what feels good. A great, a great formula for destruction. Number three, I'm gonna allow corrupt influences into our lives, not thinking that it's really not going to affect me. Parents, parenting is not a passive activity, it's an active activity. You're the parent, you're the authority. Bible says we cannot separate the things which have influenced us. We can't, we, we can't say, oh, I can take that in and it doesn't have an impact. What does the Bible say? We cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard, talking about those that have been around Christ. What we see influences our actions out of the abundance of the heart, the what? Mouth speaketh. What comes in will come out of our lives. What are we letting in? What are we letting into our homes, into our minds? What relationships are we surrounding ourselves with? We saw it this morning when lust that's in the mind hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. That's an action. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, destruction. I want you to turn to one last verse and then we'll be done. Deuteronomy chapter number seven. Deuteronomy chapter number seven. It's a verse I read probably 15. We had just maybe one or two young children. I read this verse and committed it to memory. It was a real convicting verse for me. 
my own life, and then as the leader of our home, the spiritual leader of our home, for our family. And we haven't been perfect at this, but we've tried. You can ask our children, and this might seem crazy, in our home, uh, we're not always perfect at it, but when we have a, a DVR, when commercials come on, we pause them. Because I'll be watching to watch a, a sports game or something that to me would be maybe innocuous entertainment, and then in the middle of that, every 10 minutes, is all kinds of messages that is not innocuous. We might be watching some cartoon, and then there's stuff coming on there that is, that is not, it's not what we ought to. And so for us, uh, we, we, we've rarely, and, and again, I've not been perfect at that, and as our kids get older, they have to make some choices as we've taught them what they're going to do in their own lives. And one thing you learn is that you can't control all of your adult children's choices. You can teach them, and you can model, and then you, they have to figure that out. But for us, we rarely, uh, if, if ever, I can't really watch movies that have messages that are, that are against God's Word, or that have some kind of an agenda, or a sitcom, or a television show. That if, it has, if it has a bunch of profanity, we're turning it off in our home. That's for us. That might not be for you. And maybe I go overboard, but I know this, Deuteronomy 7 It's a convicting verse for me. Deuteronomy 7, speaking to the children of Israel. Would you read it aloud with me? Deuteronomy 7, verse number 26. Deuteronomy 7, verse 26. Let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it. Thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. He said, don't bring, and I have it circled in my Bible, the little article there, N, A-N, singular, thou shalt not bring N abomination into thine house, lest why? Because it will influence you, lest you be a cursed thing like it, you shall utterly detest it, shall utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. We try to let principles like that guide the music we listen to. We're not, well, it's, it's what's popular, it's what everybody's listening to. Uh, if what it's teaching are values that are anti-scripture, why are we bringing that into our home? What it's teaching are things that are anti-authority or, or anti, and sometimes even some of the, the cartoons and those things, we end up having to have conversations afterwards about this agenda, this thing they put here, and here's where it's at. Why? Because that which we bring into our home does influence us. It does impact us. It, he said, don't bring an abomination into your house lest you become a cursed thing like it, lest it influences you. Abhor it. Detest it. Want nothing to do with it. Have more. And by the way, I would suggest that it was easier to keep their homes pure back in Deuteronomy than it is today. They didn't have devices laying on every table that could bring abominations in at the click of a button. Every, they didn't have 150 different channels that you could scroll through to find an abomination. They didn't have YouTube that you could go and find whatever you want to find. They didn't have every song that's ever been recorded in the history of the world on one app that you could go listen to right then. They, they had a much easier time keeping their homes pure, I would say. At least there was a lot less access to the debauchery. We've got to be on guard in our lives. Here's where Satan deceives us, I think, sometimes. I can look at it, I can listen to it, I can watch it, it's just entertainment, it doesn't impact me. As long as I don't participate in it, as long as I don't partake in it, what does the Bible say in Proverbs chapter number seven? 
Speaking of a young man going to a strange woman's house, a, a, a relationship with, a, with a, a beautiful woman that will destroy his life, a young man giving in to a lustful temptation. What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say in Proverbs, it doesn't say, don't go into the bedroom and defile yourself. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number five and seven, you read those two Proverbs, they deal much with a strange woman, meaning, and when it's strange, it doesn't mean weird, it means a, a wicked woman that wants to take advantage of or to really defile and, 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 and destroy a, a life of a young man. And you know what it says? It says, come not nigh the door of her house. Don't get near the front door. Isn't that interesting? Why, why is that? Nothing wicked happens at the front door, but you know what does happen at the front door? You can look in and see and start to think what it could be, and you start looking at things. You know, the Bible says today we're, we're reading, we started a Bible reading plan with our secondary students from, I preached in chapel this Wednesday on how to read your Bible, and we're reading through Proverbs together, and today was day number four. And in today's, Pro, I think it was day four, today's proverb, we were on Proverbs four, and you know what it says about going with evil men? Here's what he says, he says, he says in, 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 uh, in chapter four, Proverbs four, I think seven or eight, somewhere in there, he says, don't son, go with evil men. He says, avoid it. Pass not by it, turn from it, pass away. He said, son, if, don't, don't just say I'm going to go with some wrong people, but I'm not going to do what they do. He says, avoid their path. He says, don't go near where they're going. And if you find yourself running into them, he says, turn from it, go the other direction and pass away. Get away from it. You know what he says? He doesn't just say, don't partake in the evil deeds yourself. He says, don't get close to those that are. Well, you're a legalist, all these rules. No, the Bible just says there's some prudence and some wisdom because there comes a time in Proverbs 7 where the Bible says that the temptation gets so strong that the young man, the Bible says, like an ox goeth to the slaughter and knoweth not that it is for his life. There comes a time where the temptation gets so strong, our flesh, it gets too weak that we cannot withstand the temptation. And like an ox who has more strength than the person leading them to slaughter, but he just walks right to his death. He has, he has the strength available to him, but he's not able to use it. He's, he's so mentally blinded, he doesn't know what's happening. He says the same thing is true in our lives. We have the power available to us to not go to our destruction, but if we allow ourselves around foolish temptations for too long and too much, there comes a time where we cannot but help but speak the things which we have seen and heard, where out of the abundance of the mouth the heart speaketh, where that which we've allowed in over and over and over again eventually we act upon. And he says, Solomon talking to his son, he says, son, don't even go near the front door of her house. Don't get close to it. Don't let those wicked things come into your mind. Utterly detest it and abhor it. You know the opposite, what are the other three? So these are the three mile markers to a family's destruction, misplaced priorities over material things, making major decisions in the flesh, and then allowing ungodly influences into their lives. What are the opposite of those? How do we find a joyful, God-blessed life? Contentment over what we have. Contentment. God, I'm satisfied with who you are in my life, with what you've given me, with where you've placed me. 
This, again, this doesn't mean you can't set goals. This doesn't mean you can't press toward the mark. This doesn't mean you ought not be one of the best workers at your place of business and that you ought not be able to succeed and get promotions and get raises and to, to take those resources and to use them for God's glory and for the benefit of your family. doesn't mean the Bible has principles about all of that. But what it means is God where you've—not not complacency. There's a difference between complacency and contentment. Not complacency. Complacency says, I'm okay with who I am. I'm fine. Contentment says, I'm satisfied with who God is in my life, with what he's given me and with where he's placed me. Contentment with what God has given us. Spiritual decisions, not fleshly decisions. Get in God's word. Spend time in prayer. Seek godly counsel. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And then guard your mind, your life, and your home from sinful influences. We all have a sin nature. We all have a free will. We can try to do all three of these things and still see ourselves or maybe someone else choose a path that isn't pleasing to God. I understand that. The story's not written on my life. The story's not written on my marriage. And the story isn't written on our five children's lives. I don't know what the future years and decades will hold, but I can tell you it'll be a much less bumpy ride if we learn from Lot. How are we doing? on our priority. What's our priority? Earthly gain or spiritual treasures? God's plan or fleshly pursuits? What's our priority? How are we making the big decisions of life? Well, that feels good. That looks good. He makes me feel good. She makes me feel good. That seems fun. Or this is how I'll grow closer to God. This is how God guides me and leads me. How are we doing in Moving our family right into Sodom. Allowing ungodly influences into our minds, into our homes, into our marriage. Protect. Fight for your family. Protect. Fight. And when I say your family, I'm talking about every individual. Fight for your life. Take heed. The Bible talks about keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Protect your heart. Protect it from the wicked one. Protect it from those influences. Bring every thought into captivity. Whatsoever things are pure and just and honest and lovely, of good report, think on these things, brethren. Does that describe the flow of information coming into your mind and my mind day after day? Pure, just, lovely, honest, good report? Let's take some inventory and let's learn from Lot's life. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.